0: Hi folks, we want to welcome you to our Sunday School time here at the Kermansville Christian Church. we have coming off of a two-week break over the Christmas and New Year time, and so we're starting up in 2021 with getting right back into our study, doing a survey of the Old Testament, and right now we're focused on 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles, which we've entitled this series of lessons, Israel's kings and prophets and so today we're going to continue with the story of two prominent folks in first kings and one is a godly prophet the other is the most wicked king Israel has ever had one is Elijah the prophet the other is king Ahab so we're going to get right into our second part we're going to focus on first kings chapter 18 verse 20 through chapter 19, verse 21. Now, next week, we will conclude our time with Elijah and Ahab, and although we're going to continue with uh, Elijah when we get into Second Kings as well. But as we begin our lesson today, I think it's very important that you and I understand some things about the prophet Elijah. We have a tendency, and it's only human, especially for us in North America, we have a tendency to lift our leaders up on a pedestal, so to speak, to make them greater than who they really are. We almost, in some ways, ignore their humanity. And when we look at a guy like Elijah, which, by the way, folks, when I was a young Christian, I looked and read everything I could on the prophet Elijah. He appealed to me. But what we do is, is we've put him up on such a pedestal, we think he's such a super believer that there's no way that anyone could be like him. Well, that really is a contradiction to the word of God because in James, it tells us very clearly that Elijah was a man like you and I, but he prayed. Listen to what James writes in James chapter 5, verse 17 Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain when it did not rain on the land for three years and six months and he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit now I want you to look at that phrase there in verse 17 Elijah was a man with a nature like ours he's a human being And we're going to see that human tendency coming out. The other thing I want you to take be aware of as we look at this narrative today, we're going to look at a mighty act of God in which he shows himself to be God to the northern kingdom. And they respond initially. And notice I said initially. Because we're going to see in the very next chapter that it doesn't hold true. And so there's some things that we can kind of glean from that, which we'll talk about as we go through the passage. All right, again, so there's a lot of material here in chapter 18 through 19. We're not going to read these passages together unless we need to, and we'll refer to them as we go through. So let's begin. We're going to talk about Elijah on Mount Carmel, and that's going to focus on chapter 18, verses 20 to 46. So the first thing I want you to see is is that Ahab called for all Israel and the prophets of Baal to gather at Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is to the north in Israel and he's gathering all of Israel that is a part of his kingdom, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and the 450 prophets of Baal that Elijah told him to gather. Now, when they all gather Elijah speaks to them, the prophet of God speaks to them, and here's his challenge. He, he asks the people, how long will they falter between two opinions? And folks, I'll be honest with you, that's a question that you and I need to wrestle with. How long are we going to try to hold on to two different opinions that we guide our lives by? What do you mean by guide our lives by well, some refer to it as being double-minded. On one hand, we want to serve the Lord, but on the other hand, we want to do the things that the world is doing. In their instance, he's talking to them specifically about they worship Yahweh, but they're also making sacrifices to the Canaanite gods, specifically Baal and Asherah. And so he's asking the people, how long will they Falter. How long will they be in between sitting on the fence about two different opinions? He challenges them, they must make a choice to follow the Lord or Baal if one of them is God. Basically, he's saying to them, look, they can't both be God. And if one of them is God, then make that choice to follow the true God now he's going to propose to them a way of determining that because you and i would if we if all that's all we knew of the story we'd be like well how do they determine well he proposed that he and the prophets of baal offer a sacrifice to their god without fire offer a sacrifice to their god without fire so basically he's saying you know, each one will have a bowl, they'll build their altar, they'll prepare their sacrifice, but they won't put fire to it. They won't put fire to it. So what else does he tell them? Well, whichever God accepts and consumes the sacrifice is the true God. Wow, that's pretty sharp here. Basically, He's saying, you know, if Baal is Baal, then Baal, when the offering is there, he will come and show himself mighty and consume that sacrifice that the prophets of Baal are making. But if he's not, it's not going to happen. But if the Lord, if he is God, then the sacrifice that I present will be consumed by the Lord. And you will know that he is the Lord God, and whichever one is God, you need to choose to follow. Now, the people accepted Elijah's words and he told the prophets of Baal to prepare their sacrifice. So they're like, yeah, sounds like a good way. I mean, if Baal's Baal, then we'll know that he's God. And if the Lord is God, yes, we'll know that he's God. That sounds like a good word, Elijah. Let's do this. So, all right, you guys, go ahead with your offering. So the prophets of Baal prepared their sacrifice and tried to draw attention, the attention of their God. And the scripture is very uh, kind of vivid about what they did. So, for instance, if you read the passage, it says that they danced around cried out to Baal, oh Baal, oh Baal, come Baal, this is your offering. They cut themselves, which was some of the, what they would do in, in the Canaanite religions of showing that they are wanting to draw the attention of their god. So they're doing whatever they can to draw the attention of Baal, which, by the way, is a thunder god, a rain god, Okay, which makes sense when you talk about agrarian cultures if you have a culture that's based on agriculture, you need rain, especially in Israel, in Canaan. So here's what happens. Elijah mocked them by telling them that perhaps Baal was away or sleeping. So while they're doing this, they're dancing around, cutting themselves, screaming and hollering for Baal, Elijah's off on the sidelines and he's mocking them. He's saying to them, well, you know, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe if you yell louder, if you scream louder, you might get his attention. Maybe he's away on a journey. And and he's not available right now, so he's like mocking them. Why is he doing that? Well, he knows that Baal is not anything. Baal is nothing but a piece of wood or a piece of metal that was crafted into a god that they mindlessly make sacrifice to. But he's mocking them, saying to them, well, maybe he's away. Well, then as the day goes on, Elijah then called the people to him and repaired the altar to the Lord with a trench around it. He built Repaired the altar. On Mount Carmel, there obviously was an altar to the Lord. Remember, they had built altars to the Lord in the high places. He repaired the altar because obviously it had fallen into disuse and was not kept up. And so he repairs it with stones representing the 12 tribes. But he also does something unusual in that he digs trenches around the altar. And we're going to see why he does that here. In a few seconds. But the time that when he would make this sacrifice, the scripture is very clear, was the time of the evening offering. There was a time in the ritual day of a Jew that they would make a sacrifice in the evening to the Lord when they would make a sacrifice to him. And it was the time for the evening sacrifice. So he then arranged the sacrifice and the wood and had water poured over it three times. Now this is making it very interesting. So he's not just got the wood and the bull positioned on this altar. He then has them pour water on it. Not once, not twice, but three times. Enough to really drench the sacrifice and the wood but also to fill the trench around it with water. So you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought, you know, whatever God has got, well, there's a reason why he's doing this because he's going to show that God will do this. Well, Elijah then called on the Lord so that the people would turn back to him. Now, when you read the text, it's very evident that the purpose of Elijah wanting God to show up, wanting God to could bring down and accept this offering and to do it in such a way that the people would see that it was him, is because he wanted the people of Israel to turn back to the Lord. That's, the, that's his desire here. He's wanting them to turn back to God. Turn back to God. Well, fire from the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice and the water. In fact, it basically said fire fell from the Lord, consumed the sacrifice, the water, the stones, and the dust. There's no denying what's going on here when you see this. Okay? I mean, God just like, boom, boom. I mean, Baal, they're probably still over there. Oh, Baal. But here's God, shows up, consumes, no doubt, who is the Lord here, who is God, Yahweh, Baal is nothing. So the people fell on their faces and acknowledged that the Lord was God. So the people did just fall on their faces Prostrate themselves, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. I mean, they're seeing the spectacular thing that has happened. They're acknowledging that God is real. Now, let's just stop for a moment. When you read this story, you're like, wow, that is awesome! That is so awesome. That God showed up, showed who he was. The people acknowledge that and they're on their faces. This is revival. Yes, to a point. But we're going to see a little bit later that it's short-lived. In fact, we're going to see that it really doesn't change anything with the people of the northern kingdom. Therefore, God is going to have to come and deal with them later when they are taken into captivity by the Assyrians. This goes to show you that, well, we'll leave it. As we get closer to the point where I need to make this point to you, I've got a comment I want to make about this great event. It is awesome. You can't take away from it. The people respond, but only in the moment they respond. Okay? Now, Elijah then had the prophets of Baal seized, and they were executed. This is in accordance with the law. The law made it very clear that a false prophet, a prophet of another God, was to be killed. So he had the people who recognized the Lord is there, which kind of gives credibility to Elijah now. He tells them, grab these guys, and he has them, 450 of them, executed. Executed. You say, well, what? Look, when you're talking about all Israel's there, that means all of Israel's mighty men are there. They're going to do what the prophet is telling them to do. Now, the text then tells us that Elijah tells Ahab to eat and drink for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. Basically, he tells them, hey, go get you something to eat. Get something to drink. Celebrate. Rain is coming. There's a sound of rain. Now, Ahab went to celebrate. As Ahab went to celebrate, Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel where he prayed. Basically, it tells you that he goes up to Mount Carmel, and, and this is an interesting praying position. He basically sits on the ground with his head between his knees praying. Okay, Praying, asking for what? Rain. He's praying for God to stop the drought and bring the rain back. Now he sent his servant now we don't know who this servant is. He sent his servant to look towards the sea seven times and report back to him each time what he sees. So he sends his servant to look towards the sea, because when you're in Mount Carmel, you can see the sea. Go look towards the sea, come back, tell me what you see. He does this seven times. After the seventh time, the servant reported that he saw a cloud coming out of the sea towards them, okay? He sees this cloud coming out of the sea towards them. That's a coming storm. So Elijah then told Ahab to flee in his chariot before the rain comes. Now you're saying, wow, run because of rain? Well, we're not talking about just any rain. There obviously must be a storm coming and you need to get where you're going or you're going to get caught in the midst of the storm. So, and then here is probably the most interesting, it's most intriguing portion that is for me in chapter 18. It says that the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now, let me just stop for a moment. We don't have any record ever of Elijah having a chariot, of Elijah having a donkey. Basically, he proceeds on foot. So this is an amazing thing where the Spirit of God comes upon a man and he gives him the physically ability, physical ability to outrun Ahab all the way to Jezreel to avoid the storm that is coming. And that brings us to the end of chapter 18. Well, then, we're now coming to 1 Kings chapter 19. And as you get ready to start chapter 19, you're probably, if you're like me, if you're reading this story for the first time, you're like, man, this is it. People are turning back to the Lord. Everything is great. Israel's going to get rid of the prophets. Everything's going to be where it should be. Finally, they are serving the Lord. No, no, they're not. In fact, we should reflect back for a moment. If you go back just a few chapters in 1 Kings, where it talks about Jeroboam and his death, it's very clear that the prophecy is given that Israel will be punished by being sent into captivity because of Jeroboam's sin. So the reality is is that judgment is still coming. Yes, they turn to the Lord, but it's only for the moment. And chapter 19 is going to show us that. How do we know that? Well, first thing, when you begin in chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that happened on Mount Carmel and how the prophets were executed. So remember remember Jezebel, she's the foreign princess of the king of Sidon, who is married to Ahab, she's a very wicked woman. She's introduced the worship of Baal back to Israel, and also the worship of Asheroth. She is a wicked, wicked woman. And so Ahab goes back and tells her all that's going on, because she's probably wondering, where are the prophets? And so he tells her what happened on Mount Carmel, the fire coming down, consuming the altar, the prophets being executed. Now Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with a threat to kill him within the next 24 hours. In fact, she kind of puts it like this. If by this time tomorrow you're not dead, may it be this way with me. Basically saying, you're going to die. You're going to die. Now, you're saying to yourself, well, why would somebody do that? If God is listening to Elijah, I mean, all this has happened, fire comes down, 450 prophets, About who's this woman? Folks, this is a wicked woman who does not believe in God, and all she sees is what she wants to see. And so she sends this message to Elijah. Now, here is where we see that Elijah is like you and I. Remember I told you that was from James chapter 5, verse 17? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's like you and I. He's human. And we see that in chapter 19 because here's what he does. Elijah then fled for his life and went to Beersheba in Judah where he left his servant. Now Beersheba is at the southernmost point of Israel. And that is in the kingdom of Judah. So he runs from the north all the way down to Beersheba. Who's he running from? He's running from Jezebel, from the threat against his life. He's running in fear. Now, whenever I read this, I'm like, how's that possible? I mean, he was just on Mount Carmel and he's mocking the prophets of Baal. They're all there. God shows up, boom, takes the sacrifice, the rocks, the water, the dust. They kill the 450 prophets of Baal. God is mighty. God is awesome. And then boom, all it takes is one note from one woman saying, I'm going to kill you. And he's on his way. What's going on here? Well, we're going to see what's going on here in a little bit. Because Elijah is going to tell you what's going on. Because even though there's this victory, and this is the point, victories don't necessarily mean that you're going to be responding the way that you need to respond the next time there's a crisis. And I think we know that, right? So this is what we're seeing with Elijah. Elijah. So, from there, he went a day's journey into the wilderness where he rested under a juniper tree. So, the wilderness. Remember the wilderness? That's where Israel journeyed for 40 years in punishment because they refused to go up and take the land where they were told to. Well, Elijah's journeying into the wilderness and he comes and rests under a juniper tree. Now, the New King James the King James Bible would say a broom tree. What's a broom tree? Well, it's a juniper tree. So he's resting there. Now, this is the most amazing thing. So, being depressed, Elijah prayed that the Lord would take his life. God, just kill me. I don't even. Why should I? I don't. You and I understand those kind of statements. When we're facing it, when we're depressed, We're like, I just want to end it. This is where Elijah's at. I just want to end it. Why am I doing this? I just want to go on. Come on, come on, God, kill me. Well, while he slept under the tree, the angel of the Lord awakened him and told him to eat. The angel of the Lord, folks, that is what we believe is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is the appearance of Jesus In his pre-incarnate state, he is often referred to as the angel of the Lord. Because whenever you see somebody with the angel of the Lord, they're like, God is here. So I believe this is the second person of the Trinity. So Jesus is coming to him and ministering to him and provides him with a meal. Provides him with a meal while he's resting. The angel of the Lord came a second time and awakened him to eat again. So he eats, obviously goes back to sleep, because look, he's got to be exhausted. He's run all the way from the northern part of Israel, all the way down to Beersheba, and then into the wilderness. He wakes up, the angel of the Lord wakes him up, he gives him something to eat, goes back to sleep. Well, the angel of the Lord comes a second time, wakes him up again to eat again. Now, the interesting thing to me about this portion is you don't see any record here of the interaction between the angel of the Lord and Elijah. There's no questions here. It's just that he's depressed. He wants to die. And God is ministering to him. Well, in the strength of the food, Elijah fled to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Horeb... You're like, Horeb? What's Horeb? Horeb is also known to us as Mount Sinai. So he went to the place where Moses received the law. He went to the place where Moses met with God on the mountain. That's where he's going. He's going to the mountain of God. He's going to the mountain of God. Now, as he was spending a night in a cave, At the mountain, the Lord asked him why he was there. Now, okay, so he makes it to the mountain of God. The word of the Lord came to him and says, why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here? Now, this brings us to what's really going on with Elijah. And this is why I kind of made reference to this earlier. So let me just kind of tell you what's going on. Elijah responded that he has been zealous for the Lord and that Israel has forsaken the Lord. All right, so the first thing, he says, God, I've been zealous for you. I've been doing what you've been telling me to do, but Israel has forsaken you. Now, wait a minute, that just seems kind of, if you just are looking at the narrative, you're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Well, wait a minute, didn't they just say the Lord is God? Didn't we just be a part of a revival here? Yeah, but I'm telling you, because of Jezebel wanting to kill him that revealed something to Elijah and that people may respond for a moment in an event but that doesn't necessarily mean change and it's not changing because first of all Ahab's not changing because Ahab could have put a stop to all of this so he's recognizing I've been zealous for God but Israel has forsaken the Lord okay Israel has forsaken the Lord Now, he also points out, here's how he knows that Israel has forsaken the Lord. Israel has torn down the altars to the Lord and killed his prophets. God, I know they're turning away from you. Why? Because they're basically removing you from their society and they're killing anyone who proclaims your word. He then says this, he states that he alone is left of the prophets and that they seek to take his life. I'm the one who's left. I'm the only one. I'm the only one who worships you, Lord, in Israel, and they want to kill me. That's why I'm here. Well, the Lord called Elijah to go out and stand before him. So God says, come on out, stand before me. Now here's where it gets pretty interesting, and it's pretty significant when you think about what's going on. So the Lord passed by, and there was, first of all, a great wind, but the scripture says he wasn't in the wind. An earthquake that broke the mountains, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So all this is taking place. However, when the Lord spoke to him in a still, small voice, Elijah went out. He covered himself with his mantle, and he went out. It wasn't all this spectacular. But when God spoke to him in a still, small voice, he went out. Think that's significant, folks? How many times are we looking for something amazing from God to show us that you're there, show us that you are real, show us that you care? When he speaks to us in a still, small voice. So Elijah went out. Well, again, the Lord asked Elijah why he was there, and he gave the same response. Why are you here, Elijah? And again, the same response, I'm zealous for you, and Israel's turning away, they're turning down your altars, they're killing your prophets, and I alone am only the one who's left. Now, here's what is amazing to me, and I think it's very interesting and significant. God doesn't answer anything that Elijah is saying. He doesn't answer him. He doesn't say, "Okay, this is why this is happening." We like to know the why's, don't we? But this is not what God's doing. This is not what's going on here. Here's what He did: The Lord told Elijah to anoint Hazael as king over Syria, and Jehu as king over Israel. It's almost like God is ignoring the pity party, depression thing, and He's telling Elijah to do something. We've got a job for you to do. Here's what I want you to do: I want you to go anoint. Haziel is king over Syria, and then I want you to anoint Jehu as king over Israel. And Elijah was also to anoint Elisha as prophet in his place. Basically, Elijah, I want you to go find Elisha, and I want you to anoint him because he's going to be your replacement. Three things he's told to do here. Then God says this. The Lord also tells Elijah that there are not, there are yet 7,000 in Israel who have not worshipped Baal. Remember Elijah said, I alone am left and nobody and God says no, there are still 7,000 in the northern kingdom who have not bowed to Baal or kissed his altar. They've not worshipped this false god. They're are worshiping me. There's still 7,000. You may not know who they are, but they're still there. This is what God is telling you. Well, the text then goes on and tells us that Elijah departed from Horeb and found Elisha plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's pretty significant. So that means Elisha must be from fairly well-to-do family. He's got 12 yoke. A yoke is two oxen apiece, piece, so 24 24 animals, plowing with them. Elijah then passed by Elisha and threw his mantle on him. So, kind of like, follow me. Elisha then asked to go and tell his parents goodbye before he would follow Elijah. So, he says, wait a minute, okay, I'm going to come, but I need to go and follow uh, him. Now, the response of Elijah has caused a lot of intrigue and, and, and almost, I'll be honest with you, some wrong interpretation. Uh, so I'm going to explain that a little bit to you here because how the response is, I'll give it to you here. Uh, Elijah said, and he said to him, go back for what have I done to you? That's how Elijah responds to the request of Elisha. So there's a lot of confusion. So let me explain to you what's going on here. Elijah responded by telling Elisha to go back and do what he requested. You say, well, it's not what I'm getting from that. Well, here's why we're saying that. So he responded by telling Elijah to go back and do what he requested. Here's why. The idiom for what have I done to you means, how have I stopped you? So what's being used here is an idiom. An idiom is a phrase or a statement that is used in a culture to reflect something that people there would know. So for instance, I'll give you an idiom that's in our area. It's not a nice idiom, but... Really, in our area, we hear that a lot. And and that is, we would say, oh, well, he's a piece of work. That's not a nice thing to say about someone. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's saying that this guy's got some problems, got some issues. But if you're coming from another culture, another world, and you're learning English or whatever, and you're like, what does that mean? He's a piece of work. That's an idiom. It's the same thing here. For what have I done to you is an idiom. Basically, it means, how have I stopped you? He's not stopping him. He's not saying my request to follow you is stopping you from going and saying goodbye. That's the point I want you to see. So Elijah then slaughtered the oxen and gave the meat to the people before following Elijah. So what does he do? He takes those 12 yoke of oxen kills them, boils the meat, passes the meat out to the people, and then he follows Elijah. Well, folks, then that brings us now to chapter 20, which we're going to look at next week when we look at the third part, third and final portion of our section entitled Ahab and Elijah. And I hope you'll be with us next week when we see, again, another confrontation Between Ahab and Elisha, but we're, excuse me, Elijah, and we're going to also see the death of Ahab recorded and what happens there as well.